Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Hello, friends. Just a quick heads up before we start the podcast this week. We're in a series called At the Movies, where we are looking for three weeks at different movies uh, that are really popular right now. Because of copyright uh, laws and that kind of thing, we aren't able to play the audio from the movies. So we had to delete that section of the sermon, which will make sense when you listen to it. We hope you enjoy seeing how some powerful truths are in some of the movies that we love. This is the third and the final sermon in our series at the movie. This movie for me, we have this fascination with superhero movies. And I think it's in part we have this longing for a hero in our own life. As you were to follow the plot line of Captain Marvel, what you'll find, I think, is three main messages as we uh, follow this character uh, through this story. These three main messages that I find in, in this movie are the importance of knowing your past, secondly, the importance of knowing who your adversary is, and third, it's to realize the unlikely source of our power. Captain Marvel is a film about one person's journey of self-discovery. This movie is about this protagonist whom we first meet of as the person's name is Veers, and she's afflicted with a problem. She can't remember where she came from. She, she has no recollection of her past. And this is oftentimes a, a literary device that many writers use to tell their story because it's, it's really powerful because as they're going through this journey, as they're going through this journey of self-discovery, we're along for, for the ride. As they discover who they are, we as an audience, we discover who they are. And so we become very emotionally attached to and invested into the plot line as we realize who this character is. And for instance, this is how the movie Captain Marvel begins. So right there in the first 80 seconds of this movie, the tone is set. And what do do we know just from that very first clip? Let me hear from you all. What What do we know from that very, very first clip? Something bad happens. So the story originates from conflict, from violence. Yes, futuristic. That's not how my window opens up in the morning. Although I do love that she walks to it with a cup of coffee. Doesn't matter where we go, we will always find our way to coffee. (laughs) Flashbacks, confused, even the way it was shot where it goes dark and then light again, dark and light again, is like these disconnected dots, right? Yes, right. Or not a good painter. But I think it's blood. It's right. So she's different. She heals. Yes, there's something unique about her. She has this power. So right from this very beginning, as an audience, we are also confused. She looked confused. And so are we. We were trying to figure out what is the context of this storyline. And the rest of this story, the rest of this narrative will be about this character coming to find out who she is, and maybe more importantly, why she is. This is the whole point of this story. And I wonder if there's something more to this. I mean, this is not the only movie that uses this, uh, this narrative tool of amnesia. There's many other movies that do it. And I wonder if there's something to that, more than just the intriguing nature of how a story can be told. I wonder if there's something deeply within us who we might be afflicted by the same things, Asking the same questions. 
Why, why am I here? How, I mean, how did I get here? What's the point of this life? What's the purpose of my life? Those questions resonate with us. And maybe our lives are much like the storyline in this, that our lives are not only just us filling our days and paying down a mortgage, but it's us figuring out a journey of self-discovery. Fortunately, we have the gift of God's Word that places us in a deeper narrative, in a deeper story. We have, especially we find this in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, it sets the context and it helps us understand who we are and why we are. This is the beginning of the Bible. This is the beginning of humanity's story, and this is the beginning of your story. In the beginning was God, in Genesis 1. In the beginning was God, and we find in the Genesis account this beautiful rhythm in creation where each day God created something unique, and almost as, as if one day God created order, and the next day God created abundance. So God created the day and the night. The next day, He created oceans that were teeming with life, that the birds of the were teeming the sky. And we find in this rhythm of creation that at the end of each day, God would declare, this is good. This wasn't happenstance. This wasn't born out of chaos. This was born out of created order and goodness and blessing. That was the beginning of life. And it culminates in this beautiful crescendo like an orchestra. It, creation culminates on the sixth day when God creates humanity. God creates humanity in diversity, and Adam and Eve displaying God's created uh, unique ability. And the interesting thing we find about the way in which He created humanity is He created us how? out of His very own image, that we were created in the image of God. Not out of violence, not out of conflict, but out of the overflow of God's own image, we were created. All of humanity was created. And what this means is being created in the image of God sets a context for all of our stories. If we were created in the image of God, we won't know ourselves fully until we know God. For us to know who we are, we have to know the one whose image we were created from. And if we don't know of who God is, we might be like characters like Veers in this storyline, wondering who we are and how we got here. Waking up in our morning is going, so what's the point of today? Confused. Not sure what our story was meant to be. But this is not how we were created. Humanity was created in the image of God, out of perfect harmony and blessing. The first words that humanity ever heard was the word of the Creator saying, oh, You are so very good. It's the first words we ever heard. Oftentimes in our theology, we'll talk about original sin sometimes. And, uh, I've heard it said that we talk too much about original sin and not enough about original blessing. That we were created in the image of God and God saw us before we were marred by sin and God declared that we were good. And that original blessing is something that echoes within our souls and our hearts that we long for. It gives us a context of understanding our life story, that we were created for that purpose 
with that goodness, in that image. This is the beginning of your story. This is the beginning of my story. Yet we live most of our days maybe detached from that narrative. We might be like this character, Veers, who accepts the story that we're given. We're just accept the story that we're given. And unfortunately, in this story, in this movie, the story that she was given was wrong. It was a lie. And the problem for many of us is we're living a plot line of a story that is not true. The point of our life, our life story that we've accepted is not true. That life is about acquiring the most. Seeking approval of the people who have given us disdain. Maybe we've never had that original blessing from our family. So our life is about trying to prove our worthiness. Maybe we have accepted the lie that life is about finding pleasure. Or just simply the lie that life is about me. We have to learn and practice and remember the truth of God's story, of who we are and why we are. The truth of God's story is so very important. This is why we gather in worship. This is why we gather in worship and community. It's our weekly rhythm that we remember what God's story is all about, of how we were created, what we are created for, what life is really about. This is why we gather and we have confession, because we're honest with each other. We put that in the middle of our story together. It's why we practice the, the beloved community, while we greet each other and look at each other and get to know each other, this is part of our story together. This is why we worship God, because we remember that our life is not centered around us, but by God. And so we learn in our worship to put God in the focal point of our moments together so that maybe we can practice doing that outside of these rooms and in our, the rest of our life. That's why we hear the pro- proclamation of God's Word. We We surrender ourselves to it because we need to remember the truth of who God is and what life is about. This is why we gather in this community, is we reorient our life around God. That's why it's so very important. And we reorient our life around the true story that we find with God, and especially with Jesus' gospel. This is made obvious how we often don't do this. This is made obvious in the scene where the protagonist veers, finally talks to what uh, they describe as the ruling force of the Cree civilization. If you haven't seen this movie, I'm so sorry for all the vocabulary. I can't explain it. They're Crees. This person's called the intelligence. It's just weird. But hey, here's the clip. I like that she's given the, uh, she's given the narrative that she's going to live from, the one that she's going to muster strength and, and live her days from. And the narrative that she received is, was a lie. Uh, she was just told that there was another form of life out there that caused end and destruction everywhere they went, and they are the ones who are blamed to attack you. They, they're the ones that should receive the blame of that, the anger of that. They caused the loss of your memory, um, and they're the ones that you should destroy. But we've given you a gift. It, it comes from us. We've given you this gift, and we can take it away. But what you need to get over right now, you need to get over your past, Stop trying to figure out what happened. Don't trust your emotions and show that you can be, a tr- show that you can be trusted. And if she believed this story, she would never know who she truly was. This lie that you should not look towards your past to figure out who you are and what the point of life is, to forget yourself. Something had to... Re- 
Something had to move her from the situation and drop her in a different context so that she could see different, see differently. She needed a new and renewed perspective. So what happens is this character, she gets kidnapped by the people that was blamed for all of her pain, and she escapes from them and falls into an unknown planet. And where does she end up? She falls straight into a blockbuster, vibrant blockbuster, <laughs> with a security guard jamming out to What a Man by Salt and Peppa, which means either she plopped into my home today or 1995. She's straight into 1995. And we now find that she is on a different journey. She's in a different story. Through happenstance, she's plopped into a different world, and she now, through this new world, which actually was the world that she grew up in, she's now trying to figure out who she is. While everyone else around her, they're all looking for this power source that will end all the wars. And in her searching, she finds out that the narrative that she was given was a lie. She starts putting it together that, wait a minute, the things I was told were not true. And one of the greatest lies that she realizes at, is she realizes the lie that who my real adversary is? Who am I really against? Who's the real opponent that's taken life from me? The Krees, in fact, were the people that did not rescue her, but they had abducted her, and they were using her and her power against the innocent. One of the most important important discoveries in our journeys, as well as hers, is not only figuring out who we are, but also figuring out who is against us. This is the importance of knowing our adversary. We don't have to look at the creation account in Genesis long before we see the emergence of an adversary. Chapter 2 ends like this in Genesis chapter 2. It ends with this. Adam and Eve, uh, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And I feel no shame about the way I say naked, by the way. Um, (laughs) They felt no shame. And this this is a snapshot on what life was meant to be. It was, uh, it was meant to display intimacy and unity without regret and shame. They had no reason to hide. They had no reason to fight off intimacy, something that's so vulnerable for you, for you and I now. They had no shame. This is the longing that you and I have to be in relationship without shame, to have a life with God without regret. Doesn't that sound awesome? But in the very next verse, Genesis 3, 1, we find the conflict emerges. The enemy, the serpent, came to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? Notice his tactic is just to, with a seed of doubt, plant that right there. Did God really say, hold up, did God really say? And I actually don't think there's anything bad with that question. For us, a question like, what, what is the root of our belief? But their response should have been, yes, he did say that. Those those were God's words. And the serpent uh, said, planted the seed of doubt, and the the woman responded to the sermon in verse 2, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Great. She, She responds with truth. And then the serpent responds, you will certainly not die, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, 
knowing good and evil. What is the enemy trying to say here is, God's holding out on you. God's not looking for the best for you. He knows that if you do this, that you'll be just like him. And he doesn't want that. He's wanting to suppress you. He doesn't want the best for you. Pretty much another way of saying is this, this enemy saying you should not trust the heart of God. And then this couple turned to the fruit and they saw it looked good. They took it and ate it. And the consequence was immediately they saw themselves and they were ashamed and afraid. And fear and shame was never God's intention for your life or mine or theirs. And we're living in a storyline that God never intended for you and I to live in. And so on that day, because of this, a thread was pulled from this garment and something that was deeply important was lost. And as that thread is pulled throughout our world, it's unwound God's created order and intent. And we can look around at the dysfunction and the pain and the chaos in, in this world, and we know that our hearts were not meant for this place. We can look around this world. It doesn't, I mean, I don't have to come up with new, like, illustrations. It doesn't take, look at your phone the fact there's two mass shootings in the last 24 hours? Seriously? This was not God's created order. Our hearts were not meant for a place like this where one person can cause so much damage. And especially because of the race of, the, of, of people here in El Paso to target people who are Latino, who also bear the image of God. This is not the place we were created to be. And we see how this thread causes so much pain and damage in this world. And you and I have this restlessness, man, this longing for peace, this longing for home, a place where, again, there's unity and beauty and diversity and restored purpose. The reality is if the adversary was active then, we should expect no difference now. And although we don't talk all that much about that in our church or context all that much, maybe not in many churches, the reality is there is an enemy. A great line from another movie, The Usual Suspects, speak to this. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. Though other parts of this world, spiritual warfare is a very real and present reality. Uh, the demonic is manifest, it's real. Here in the West, the struggle is beneath the surface, and I think it might be just a great strategy to not be obvious. But there's a, there's a battle. It's, we found it in Jesus' words in John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and life to the full. This right here is the battle. Life as stolen, killed, and destroyed, and life to the full. This is the work of the enemy, and this is the work of Jesus, God's purposes in this world. And those purposes in this world were to bring about life and give it to the full, give it in abundance, but there is an opposition at work. Whenever we see that life is being killed, stolen, and destroyed, we should know that the enemy is at work. And what destroys life? 
the powers of greed and envy. What steals life is dignity and lust and arrogance. What kills life, using and abusing others for personal gain, taking the image of God and devaluing it and destroying it. Luckily for the character in this story, Veers, she has a community that reminds her of who she really is. Veers is not actually her name. Her name is Carol. One of my favorite parts in this movie is, we actually might see it, but she stands up and she says, my name is Carol. I was like, that is a hero's name. I love that. And all the, Carol, all the Carols in the movie theater is like, yeah, Carols, unite. And she remembers who she is through this community. They remind her who she is. And she is, there's this beautiful scene where this young girl who uh, played, she, Carol played a role in her life as a leader, as a mentor. And this young girl has all these pictures of Carol throughout her, her, throughout her life. And she lays all on this table and she begins to tell Carol her story through pictures. And all the snapshots that she had in her memory that had no connection through the voice of this young girl, she sees who she really was. And in doing so, in doing so, she discovers her place of true power. J.R. Tolkien is the author of The Lord of the Rings. He coined a word that I just love. He coined a word called eucatastrophe. Eucatastrophe comes from two different word, uh, Greek words, eu meaning good, and catastrophe meaning destruction. So he coined this phrase, eucatastrophe is a moment in a story where there is a good destruction. It's this catastrophic moment when your heart breaks and you think it's, the story is over and all of a sudden there's a eucatastrophe where all of a sudden you as a viewer, you as a reader go, could it be? Could it be true? Is the story not over with? The ultimate eucatastrophe for Tolkien and for our lives as well is Easter. When we thought the story was over, we thought that death had the final say, that Jesus, when he was laid in the tomb, his disciples, they thought the story was complete. But then there was a eucatastrophe on Sunday morning, on Easter morning. And with Jesus' life and death, we see that there is power again. There's power from the tomb. And then through this Easter power that life emerges not only in Jesus, but also in his community that a life emerges from death again and again, and their greatest place of pain becomes their greatest source of power. Good destruction. What the people around Jesus, his followers, didn't realize is that when they were seeing Jesus and the power of Easter, what they didn't realize is that Easter power was given to them. That was God's intent, that it was good that Jesus were to come and to die so that that power displayed in his life could be given to you and me and every follower of Jesus. After Easter, Jesus said this to his disciples in Acts 1, uh, 5, verses 5 and 8. He said this, for John, Jesus said this to his followers, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptized means being filled, being filled so much that you're spilling over. That's what it means to be baptized, that you are going to be filled with God's Spirit, Holy Spirit. 
And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right here in Judea, in Samaria, the part that you, the part of our, our, our society that you judge, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is for the whole world, that your power is meant for all of my people who bear my image, that they could know and experience me through your witness. This is why you've been given power. And God's desire for the followers of Jesus was that they would experience his presence and experiencing his presence, experience his power. This is why Paul said to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, For the spirit God gave does not make us timid, which I think marks a lot of Christians' lives. This life of timidity, playing small. For the Spirit of God gave us to not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This is the point of God's giving His Spirit and His presence to your life, that you might experience power and love and self-discipline. The Spirit of God is what changes and transforms us again to reflect the image of God more clearly in this world. We see a similar realization in the scene in this movie where this great transformation takes place, where we see this person discovers who she really is and discovers where her power really is. And she displays herself not as the Carol back in the world before she had this, this traumatic thing happen, and not the Veer's character that was found in this foreign planet, but an all-new reality, an all-new person who's been transformed on when she realizes the day of her greatest loss was in fact her source of great strength. So let's watch this clip. What she thought that was the place of her weakness, her humanity, her past, who she was, actually was the place of her greatest strength. This is what this journey of self-discovery was teaching her and what's trying to teach us as an audience. It was her humanity, her past, in this unlikely place of strength. That is how it is with God. We find our power comes from an unlikely, surprising place. It's our weakness. It's our weakness that gives us power. And it's just not our weakness alone. It's our weakness when it's placed in the hands of a powerful God. That is where we find incredible strength Weakness giving way to strength. It's our dependence upon God and God's incredible faithfulness. We find this very clearly in Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He says, but he said to me, this is what Paul envisioned Christ saying to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect made complete in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, not for my own, but for Christ's sake and for his purposes' sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. This is the equation for power in our life right here. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Throughout Scripture, God 
longs to empower people who have learned to be dependent upon Him. God loves to fuel His power to people who have learned that they are in need of a Savior. God loves to give His Spirit and His presence to people, though they know they are weak, that they are longing to partner with God in doing what matters to God in this world. Jesus came so that we could experience His presence and power, not in a location, not in Jerusalem or in a temple, but in a relationship. God longs to give us His presence not through moral status, through our achievements or making it, but us experiencing God's presence through spiritual dependence about being in need of God. In Christ's kingdom, weakness gives way to strength. It's not the way of this world. It's not independence or self-sufficiency or moral perfection. Weakness gives way to strength because Christ's grace is sufficient. So then what are we supposed to do with this strength? What's the point of being empowered by God? If Christ came to this world to give life and life to the fullest, that is your charge and my charge too. Through our dependence upon Christ, our reliance on Him, we are called to be in this world, not separate from this world, to, but to be in this world to bring about life where there's death, love where there's hate, and to seek restoration when there has been destruction, that through our lives there could be a catastrophe. Through our presence, especially when I say ours, I mean as a community, us living together, going into this world, that our presence could cause a catastrophe, a good destruction of evil where it's present. And what you need to know, if you feel unlikely, if you feel ill-prepared and unworthy, you, my friend, have all the access to power you need. If you feel inadequate, there's a strength waiting to you, waiting for you. It's a dependency upon Jesus. And I've got to be honest, I, I think what the world needs now is not one more self-assured Christian ready to unload their moral su superiority in this world on whatever platform they can find. I think what this world needs right now is people who are marked by humility but surprising courage. People who've been marked by humility but have this surprising confidence, not in themselves but on the experience of a Savior who is here and present and can take your greatest losses and cause life and hope to spring forth. This world needs Christians who act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God day in and day out. Because in that dependent life, there is true power for you and I. Stories like this, and more importantly, scriptures like we've read, offer you and I an invitation today. And the invitation is this. Remember who you are. Remember who you are and why you are. That you could discover true power. That in your weakness you can serve and bless in such a way that Jesus could be present. Amen?